This week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Glossily Sports' all-new post-workout dry shampoo, Ready Sweat Glow. Made by Aussie runners for all hair types, especially for your post-long run sweaty hair. Ticking all the boxes, it's natural, non-aerosol, and absorbs sweat. Feel like you need some Ready Sweat Glow in your life? Check it out at glossilysport.com.au and use the code KUDOS20 for 20% off. Hi, I'm Izzy Bardoel and I want you to join me for a limited series on the past, present and future of Australian women's marathoning. The guests are Australia's best marathoners, with each of the seven episodes featuring an in-depth conversation with Aussie running royalty, from Benita Willis to Sinead Diver and more. We unpack their training, the ups and downs of their careers and what makes each of these athletes special. Today, I have the great honour of interviewing Australia's greatest female distance runner, Vanita Willis. Thanks for catching up with me today. I imagine it'd be pretty busy since becoming a new mum to Poppy. Yeah, thanks, Izzy. Yeah, look, um, I'm excited to come on the podcast. And uh, yeah, it's been fun having little Poppy. She's just over six months old. And um, certainly your life changes when you have a little one. Um, she's almost crawling around. So, oh, um, wow. Uh, yeah, we can't just leave her anymore in one spot. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's just changed the whole shape of the day in life for you and just adjusting to that. But six months sounds like it's still, um, yeah, pretty pretty busy, challenging time. Is she sleeping well through the night? Yeah, she's sleeping pretty good. Yeah, she's been a really good baby. Um, and, yeah, and she's like best friends with our little puppy dog. Um, so I've had this little dog who's so spoiled, a little poodle for like seven years. So, yeah, they're like best friends, which is awesome and um, and nice to see that they'll probably grow up together as well. Oh, so cute. Do you know, I was telling my mum last night that I was interviewing you today and um, we kind of got chatting about it and she was telling me about when my first coach um, lent us some tapes of you winning the World Cross Country and we watched them over and over and, you know, this is back in 2004. I was nine years old. My sister was 11. We'd only just started um, our running journey at the local athletics club and was getting some coaching um, outside of that. And it was pretty cool to reminisce. Um, you know, for me, it was quite a cool moment to think, oh my gosh, I'm I'm interviewing my childhood hero. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate you making the time to, to do this podcast. And I think um, it's going to be a great chat for people to listen to, but myself too, I'm just super excited to get to know you better. Uh, so yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to reminisce on those times watching you back on those tapes over and over um, in that incredible race. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, I remember I've got a few um, of those big VHS tapes um, with races on. So it doesn't feel like that long ago, but it was really a fairly long time. It's just crazy because mum was saying like, well, how else would we have watched it back then? Like it wasn't, if it wasn't on the front page of the news, like, uh, you know, we wouldn't know about it kind of thing. Um, the world was so much, I guess, smaller and less connected. So yeah, getting those kind of tapes and having to, um, you know, watch it back in, in uh you know, on the TV is kind of crazy to think uh, how far we've come in such a short space of time, live streams and all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, look, if you didn't watch it live. Um, but, um, but yeah, look, I was really lucky in those days. There was photographers that used to um, give us, you know, like the hard copies of photos after oh, a big wow. race. So, because, you know, he didn't have social media um, and so, yeah, there was a photographer over in the UK and um, he used to get, he gave me a big envelope of all these photos he took of me at, um, at World Cross that year I won. So, um, yeah, even things like that, you know, you'd never, you'd never get that these days. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. And like all of my best races were overseas. So, mm. um, you know, I didn't get a chance to spend a lot of it with my family um, here in Australia. But, 
yeah, times have moved on pretty quick, but uh, yeah, still the memories are all there, and um, yeah, I'm sure you can find some things on YouTube. But yeah, a lot of it's on those VHS. Um, yeah, things. I love that. I need to dig it out somewhere and find it. Yeah. Uh, look, you've had so many achievements in your career, and just going through, um, you know, it, it would be crazy to go through them all because we'd be here all day. I'd love to do that. Um, but we'll touch on some of them and, you know, highlighted by being a four-time Olympian at consecutive Olympics, holding 11 Australian records in your career um, and being the only Australian woman to win a World Cross Country Championships, um, as we touched on in 2004. Representing Australia 25 times um, or more at a World Championship level and you still hold the Australian records at the 2,000, 10,000 metres and on the road 5 and 10 and some other road distances. Jess Hull only recently broke your uh, 5,000 and 3,000 metre records uh, back in 2020, sorry, 2020, <laughs> um, which stood for oh, yeah, almost 20 years, um, both of those. So it just shows how world-class um, you were and, you know, it's just incredible that we're seeing some of those records go down now, but just to know that some of your records are still there, like that 10K record of 30-37, uh, just shows what a classy run it was. Yeah, and look, um, it, it's to see some of those records getting broken, I think it's a really good sign um, of how fast distance running is moving in Australia and, and the depth we've got. And, you know, seeing, um, you know, Jess Hull running so well, even um, recently at Nationals, I was over uh, watching Jess win that 1500. Oh, it's incredible. Um, yeah, and then backing up for the 5K and, um, and you know, and running so fast over 3K um, in Sydney as well. And, um, you know, she she's phenomenal. Um, and, you know, and seeing Sinead break my marathon record late last year as well. And, like, I know you had an awesome debut and another PB in your second marathon. So it's one of those things that um, I love seeing, you know, the depth of women's distance running um, just get stronger and, and keep growing. And sometimes it takes one person to break one of these records and then it sort of spurs on really good performances and um and that's what I love to see and um although you know you want to hold the records forever um they're there to be broken and um and it's really good to see them um starting to get broken now yeah I can imagine it's kind of that um yeah split mind of like you know you want to hang on to your record and but you also want to see people pushing the boundaries and you know leveling up and and competing on the on the world stage uh so yeah so I can understand that being a bit you know funny mindset to think of and it's so cool I think you've really um shown us what's possible and it's great to see people like yeah Jess Hull now and Sinead um really like smashing through those barriers and 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 really bringing us all up as a collective so yeah it's pretty exciting times to be in and I, I love that you're still so um involved with the sport um you know coaching through your business lace up running um I know you coached Lindsay Flanagan who a lot of us watched win the Gold Coast Marathon last year so yeah super connected through the running community still and working um at, with Queensland Athletics there so I guess running is just in your blood you haven't been able to get away from it <laughs> yeah look um uh, yeah and I love coaching with lace up running um my partner and Anthony and I started it just at the start of COVID and we had all these like ISO lockdown challenge mm -hmm. things and I mean living up here in Queensland we didn't have as as bad um to deal with with the lockdowns as, as down south but um people loved it and we just got a variety of prizes from you know companies we knew and shoe companies and whatever and um and people just really loved sort of following um what we were setting up for them and then we decided to start um some online coaching and I'd been doing this at Boulder Centre for sports medicine for a long time since I lived in America. So I still have clients that I coach or athletes that I coach um, in America since uh, about 2009 when I wow. started coaching. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I just sort of brought that back over to Australia, but we started Lace Up Running and um, and it's been awesome. And, yeah, we have a few elites, but very few, only a, like a handful, and then the rest are rec runners. And um, I know you coach a lot of people as well. So it's one of those things that, um, like, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it, but yeah. I think I can a lot more energy into the elites now that I'm not competing anymore as an elite athlete because um, I feel like coaching elite athletes, um, you know, requires a lot of emotional energy as well. And, um, and you know, I was so, so pumped to see Lindsay win um, Gold Coast Marathon last year and she's a bloody awesome person and I know, I know you know her as well and I'm just really happy to see her um, win a race like that um, and, you know, and hopefully um, she ran, you know, PBF 224 but um, spur her on to, to faster races and faster performances and, um, and and taking risks. Like, you know, once you get to that sort of level in the marathon, um, the next level, the next step is taking a risk and she did do that in Tokyo. didn't quite pay off but um, hopefully in the next one it will. Yeah, I'm sure next one's around the corner. Yeah. So look, I love coaching people. I coach quite a lot of people. Um, but yeah, we I just enjoy um helping people as well. Um and I, for me, coaching, like a lot of good coaches know what sessions to write. Um, but it's more about knowing when to plan certain sessions, um, what different people respond to. Um, and the top of top of the um sort of coaching pyramid, if you say, if you talk about like that for me is enjoyable. So if people um, that we coach aren't enjoying it, um, and it doesn't matter if you're an elite athlete or a recreational runner, um, you know, you're never going to train quite as well as you should be. You probably won't race as well. And um, it sort of trickles all the way through your you running. So sometimes, you know, if you're not enjoying it, people need a break or need to change up a few things. But um, for me and throughout my career as well, um, the times when I was really enjoying my running and enjoying everything around what I was doing, um, that's when I was running my best. And I think, you know, now I haven't, haven't raced um, – professionally since 2012 since the olympics so i've had a lot of time to look back on my career and um and just go oh yeah that was good or that wasn't um and so yeah but but enjoyment is the number one factor i think across the board yeah i couldn't agree more and i think that as you said like it doesn't matter what level you're at um, whether you're a professional athlete or you're just someone who's trying to you know run the faster park run or, or make it to a marathon um yeah you really have to enjoy it otherwise you'll find yourself in a slump and and you know what's the point at the end of the day it's it's just a a fun thing to do running and it can be such an amazing part of your life but yeah enjoyment's number one factor yeah and look um and we do races to enjoy them and then enjoy the times like after the race like you know a lot of people mm -hmm. love doing destination races and um and that's one thing that a lot of people I coach do and we're trying to get more and more people out to Australia from um overseas which is yeah. awesome <laughs> oh, I think it, it's happening I think Gold Coast and, and Sydney and you know there's a lot more um talk of the running events here in Australia and I think people are realizing that yes it's a long flight but you know it might be worth it <laughs> Yeah, and look, people like you um, putting these sort of races on the map as well, and running so well in races, um, you know, Melbourne Marathon, and um, and and you know, like and Gold Coast gets a lot mm. of good people. Um, so it's one of those things that I never did a marathon in Australia when yeah. I was competing professionally because there probably wasn't as many opportunities. But now yeah. there's so many road races here um, that people are, are seeing more and more that they can come out here and um, and compete with really good athletes. And you know, I know these fields coming up in our marathons in Australia are going to be great. So um, yeah, it's just one of those things that it's progressed as well definitely I thought maybe you could just walk us through a typical training week in a marathon block um, back when you were in in the full training for the marathon so I understand it might have changed you know from block to block but just a general kind of layout and maybe just touch on how things did change you know between the different um, between the years of marathoning 
Yeah, look, um, I think for me, um, I I sort of came into the marathon um, the year I won World Cross in 2004 was my first marathon. I was only 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things for me, um, I think that that prep was really just an extension of um, my really good races over the half marathon. Um, so uh, I would say uh, I would think about probably my best prep going into Chicago Marathon in 2006. Um, but, yeah, look, back in those days I didn't have GPS watches or anything like that. I had heart rate monitors, so we used to do a lot of heart rate training. Um, mm-hmm. I used to train in London in Bushy Park um, and going into Chicago Marathon, I would say, I probably would have been running around 180 to 200 Ks a week um, mm-hmm. in, you know, probably a block of like four or five weeks. Um, and a typical week would just be Monday would be sort of two runs, um, 50, 70 minutes in the morning, and the other would be like 30-minute jog and, and some strides and drills. Um, Tuesday would be usually a session. So it could be something like um, eight times a K or it could be um, like six times a mile, um, those sort of sessions. And, like, I preferred training um, not on the track all the time. So um, and Bushy Park, there's this, like, section, I'm sure you've run it before. Yeah. Where, yeah, you know, kind of where the K mark is, you know, where the mile mark is. Um, yeah, it's so, a good loop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we used to always go to that cricket field and do that. Um, and like we, because we didn't have the GPS watches, you sort of knew about halfway and you're, you're always just sort of looking. Um, and so we do, used to do that at quite a bit. Um, and I used to really enjoy that because I had a little um, apartment in Hampton Week, which was really close. So everything was joggable distance from my place. And so we always used to jog with whatever shoes we needed to change into for the session. Um, so Tuesday would either be, you know, something like that or a track session um, at that at St. Mary's in Twickenham. Um, and then Wednesday would be sort of a medium length run, maybe an hour 45 or something. Um, and sometimes Thursday would be a session. Um, so sometimes it would be um, a tempo run and tempo runs could be um, anything by like three or four times nine minute efforts with one minute easy um, where you might be changing paces within the nine minutes, but nothing, nothing too hard and it'd be sort of marathon pace or a little bit faster. Um, and then Friday would just be a couple of runs or maybe one run. Um, Saturday might be some short hills. Um, so sometimes just to mix it up, uh, maybe a longer warm-up, um, you know, 40 for 50-minute warm-up with some short hills, 60-second uh, hills, um, and then slow jog down recovery, like maybe 10 to 12 of them. And then Sunday would be a long run of about two hours or so. Um, I know in that Chicago prep, my longest run was two hours. Oh, that's right. So about two hours, 20, just easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have done um, marathon preps in America where I've done a lot of sort of marathon-paced efforts within long runs as well. So that Chicago prep, I didn't really do too many of those sort of things. Um, but a typical week sort of looked a bit like that or it might have only been two sessions in the week um, and not three. Um, and then, um, and certainly when I was at altitude and training for the marathon, I'd only have two sessions in the week and not three. So it really just depended on where I yeah. was living. And um, yeah, but yeah, I used to run a lot. Um, I tended to um, run all my easy runs very slow. Um, and then obviously the sessions were really good um, and, and really hard, except tempo runs, obviously, you don't go quite as hard as the interval session on Tuesday. So Tuesday was probably always the hardest session. Um, but I used to race a bit to a marathon prep. So yeah, I used to enjoy doing a few half marathons or even I remember even doing like a 5k at Hyde Park um, in that Chicago prep as well. Mm-hmm. So just mixing it up a bit. Yeah, it's good to mix it up. And I think something that's really marked your career is what a versatile runner you are, you know, from short course, long course, cross country, you know, on, on the track, um, you know, onto the roads, you kind of managed to balance it all um, 
at the same time, which I think is, uh, yeah, really impressive. And especially, um, you know, now I guess we see a little more with the recovery of the shoes. Um, but you know, I, I know how much a marathon would have taken out of your legs, um, pre kind of the super shoe area when, you know, you didn't get that recovery factor quite as much. So yeah, it's good that you were able to, um, you know, keep balancing a, a fertility of different things. Yeah, and look, I think um, I used to try to run on the grass a lot because, yeah, obviously um, the shoes were a bit different back then and um, I used to get quite sore from marathons. So I remember not doing too much for the first couple of months after a marathon. I, I only ever did two marathons a year and I think in my whole career I only did about seven marathons. I counted marathons. I thought it was eight, yeah. It was less yeah, than I yeah, thought, so not actually. Very yeah. yeah, yeah. So I never did. And for me as well, like it wasn't quite right emotionally. I was never in the right frame of mind to do marathons, so I tended yeah. to do shorter stuff. Um, but, yeah, like um, I want to try the super shoes because, um, yeah. you know, be cool. but I've heard they help with recovery a bit. And certainly if I had them back then, I would have used them as well. And um, But, yeah, I used to do a lot of running on grass just mm -hmm. to help uh, minimise the impact. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing it right too. Running it easy, runs easy. That's what I live by. <laughs> And I think also yeah, like, yeah. Look, the age yeah. of pre-GPS yeah. is almost a blessing. Like uh, my partner, Riley, like he didn't actually switch to GPS until I think 2017 uh, when he won a watch at City to Bay and he kept it in the box for like, I don't know, nine months because he was just like kind of scared of like going into yeah. the GPS world. Um, and it, it, it is kind of, yeah, a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah, and look, it, um, it is cool to see, like, I think when you're really fit, it's cool to see what paces you're doing in those, like, specific marathon sort of sessions when, um, you know, it feels really good and everything's clean. But, um, and I think they're good to measure distances if you're not doing reps on the track um, to yeah. know, you know, mile reps or 800s or something. But, um, yeah, look, um, a lot of it was by feel. Um, and so if you feel tired, you just run slow. Um, yeah. And if you feel a bit better, you know, you run harder. And a lot of my runs... On, on the off days were like that um, and I couldn't tell you what pace I was running ever um, and even even when I did my marathon in Chicago all, all my marathons um, except the last couple I did I had a GPS watch but all my marathons um, in the early days um, I couldn't have even told you what pace what k pace I was doing I could tell you what I went through halfway in and that was mm. really it so that was probably the, the the only sort of data that I ever knew um, but look I'm not a data person so I think it suited my running style like I because I love cross country I like the race I didn't really mm. care about paces and splits and stuff so I think it suited me um, I don't know it are going to be tough these days <laughs> yeah I, I think I, I go in and out of being like a little bit obsessive and then kind of being like just throwing it out the door and um, sometimes you get a you get a loop where you know the GPS is off anyway, and it's kind of like, well, like just got to go on feel. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's one, to run on feel, and then like you need to know that I think in races sometimes as well, especially marathons. Oh yeah, you do definitely for sure. Um, I'm wondering if cross training or strength was um, you know part of your regime. Yeah, look, I um, I didn't when I was in my twenties, I didn't do any cross training unless I was injured. Mm -hmm. um, so I tended to if I wasn't injured, um, I'd probably do. Um, probably 10 or 11 runs, a, uh, probably run twice a day most days, probably like 12 runs a week yeah. at least. Um, and if, but if I, obviously if I was injured, I was cross training. Um, but then once I got into my thirties, um, I did tend to do some of the easy, instead of the easy 30 minute run in the Arvo, I'd do like an easy elliptical. Um, and that was just mainly because I think it just helped my body recover better. Um, so yeah, so I didn't tend to do, and, and with strength, um, I didn't have anyone setting strength programs for me. Um, I tended to do just my own sort of core stuff, but maybe four or five times a week for 15 mm -hmm. minutes. Um, and then I'd go to the gym once or twice a week. 
for about 20 minutes and that would be like medicine ball stuff and um, it would be like some weights but not heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sort of pre that era of, um, of heavy weights and really knowing um, if that could make a difference. But I felt like for me, I, I used to do lots of hilly runs on easy days and um, I feel like um, my legs were pretty strong um, and I just didn't ever do like, um, you know, really heavy squats or um, or anything like that um, and didn't do any plyometric sort of work either. So um, just tended to do very basic stuff in the gym, I guess, um, but my own sort of core strengthening stuff um, yeah. just before I ran. But I didn't, I didn't do any like um, mobility work or stretching or any extra stuff like that. Um, I think I was pretty old school with my approach. Um, I just tended to just make sure that I had enough sleep, you know, and um, and I had an ice bath like at home with cold bars and stuff, mm-hmm. but I didn't have normal tech boots or anything like that. I just sort of, yeah, very old school, but I think um, it for works. Me, <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah, just having, you know, you can definitely, you can definitely overcomplicate it. And I think at the end of the day, all these little things can be a great um, add on, um, but sleep, good food. Um, a healthy mind and being happy is like kind of the basics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like sleep's huge. Like yeah. sleep, I think sleep is so um, underrated as like a performance enhancing tool. And if you can sleep properly at night, like it's so important um, to train, to be able to train well. Did you ever struggle um, with sleep or was it something you kind of had to work on or did it come naturally to you just to sleep really well? Yeah, no, I think I did um, sleep pretty good. Um, and I used to have a sleep sort of for an hour in the afternoon sometimes too. Um, mm-hmm. So I was pretty fortunate. A lot of my career, I was either doing some study. Um, I've done like three degrees at uni. So I was either doing study or just being a full-time athlete. So it is a lot harder, I think, for people that have full-time jobs um, and certainly people that we coach. You know, it's mm-hmm. very hard um, fitting training in around that. And I'm, I'm starting to run 50, 60 Ks a week just with the running pram with Poppy and I'm finding it hard because she's still, you know, if she wakes up at like two o'clock in the morning, I'm like, oh, that's pretty hard. Yeah. So I feel like <laughs> I don't sleep properly. Now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you can't schedule all your athletes a nap in the afternoon. <laughs> so, and that's right. And that's sort of one of those things that, you know, you have to recognise, um, you have to be, you know, that you're very fortunate to be able to do that. And yeah. I know some elite athletes might take like sort of seven or eight weeks off work um, before big races. And um, I think that would be beneficial as well. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, but I, I was very lucky in that in that sense that um, I could sort of and like a lot of the time too, I might have been coaching people where you know it's um, I can just get the work done when I've got time rather than yeah. sort of being at a job nine to five. Yeah, I think it's it's fortunate, but it's also part of the job. And I think sometimes it can be overlooked that um, you know the the training is the really hard stuff we have to do as athletes, but all the stuff around it, the recovery and sleep and and all of that is just as important um, to get that right. So fortunate, but also part of the job. Yeah, and look, I think balance is really important. And um, when I was living in the UK, um, I used to live with some people that um, that were working full time in Australia. And then when they come to the UK, I remember um, they didn't work as much. And I reckon they used to run better when they were working full time yeah. and living in a home in Australia. Yeah. And then less. so I think you know you want to keep that balance be at being being a full time elite athlete, but also having another life mm. um, rather than just sort of doing one thing because it can unravel pretty quickly if you get an injury or um, you know you're not going so well. So yeah, it's one of those things that there's a fine line, but um, yeah, but it's just what works for you and everyone's different. Yeah, definitely. I've seen that before too. And I think that um, probably the, the the perfect balance is, you know, working the equivalent of maybe half-time and, and uh, yeah, being able to prioritise your running but also um, have something else that you can kind of turn your focus to um, so you're not kind of getting too obsessive on on your training and, and on your racing. 
Yeah, and look, one of the, um, I remember in my Chicago build-up in 2006, my sister, she's a 400 runner, so she's mm-hmm. got a gold medal at 4x4 relay um, at Melbourne Com Games. Oh, wow. And she came over to do some races, yeah, and she was riding the bike a lot with me when I was doing my runs and she was racing in Europe and it was so fun to have her come and stay and, um, like, I think that sort of thing for me um, and having family around and I know I've seen that, I've seen your family have been overseas as well and um, that's really cool to be able to share what you do with with family and I think it helps with relaxation and and the fun and enjoyment factor as well. Yeah, I had the best prep last year in St. Moritz with my parents there and Riley too and I, I think it really showed me that um, I love travelling but I, I really um, do love my my close circle of people and, um, you know, if I can have them with me wherever I am, that would be ideal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like, it's so fun and, like, they love it too. So, yeah. Uh, you know, when it can work out, it's it's amazing. Definitely. So going back to the start for you, you're from Queensland. You grew up in um, near the beach just north of McKay um, and I believe you got into running through your dad who also loved running and um, just being near the beach, it was kind of a thing to do. Uh, as well as winning multiple junior national titles, you played hockey and you juggled these two sports um, and I think this meant that you missed uh, the 1996 World Junior Athletics Champs in Sydney um, but in the end, you, you picked athletics over your hockey um, after juggling the two. H- how was that decision to make early on as an athlete having success in both of these sports? Yeah, look, it was one of those things that, um, yeah, like throughout high school, um, I loved sport, you know, so I was playing heaps of different sports and I had three three other siblings. So backyard sport was massive in our family too. Um, but yeah, look, uh, hockey, hockey was definitely my main sport. Um, and I used to train most of the year for hockey and running sort of just fitted in like three or four months a year um, towards the end of the year. So I never did cross country when I was in high school because it always clashed with the hockey season. Um, and yeah, I was um, in the AIS um, squad for, for hockey um, and earmarked for Sydney Olympics. And um, in 96, I got picked in the Australian team to tour South Africa. Uh, so, and that was on at the same time as the World Juniors um, in Sydney. And I'd, I'd won, I used to always win nationals um, most years in high school in the 8 and 15. And just I just used to sit and kick. I never had fast times. Um, so I'd always just run tactical races just because I didn't train hard enough, I don't think, to just go hard from the start and run really fast. So that was always my tactic. And um, and it was fun too. And um, I enjoyed it. But like, I really enjoyed the hockey. I loved the team aspect of hockey. Um, and yeah, I went on this um, tour in South Africa. And like, our team did really well. It was in Cape Town. But um, I came back from that just thinking oh I just want to see how how much better I could get at running because I'd spent so much time um you know getting better at hockey and and they had introduced a no offside rule as well and I was a strike forward and it was just all about sort of people just smashing the ball at you and getting deflections and trying to um, get a goal. And I didn't really like that part of the game either. So, um, you know, I got to the end of year 12 and I got a scholarship to the AIS in Canberra for running. So I decided to go and I did uni full time because I was just like, oh, I'm never going to be that good at running. So it was just a good way, a cheap way to do uni. Um, So I enrolled um, to do like PE teaching at uni. So um, yeah, so I really just spent sort of three or four years training hard um, in Canberra before I really got any good results. Um, and I, I played A-grade hockey for ANU um, in Canberra as well. And our team actually won the premiership the first year I was there, which was, mm. Matt, like yeah, like A-grade hockey in Canberra is really strong. Mm. Um, yeah, it was cool. And I had all the running guys. Um, they all wore these black Afro wigs and, um, and they were standing behind the opposition keeper and just like trying to just like mess with her mind like um because I was sort of right up in the strike forward so it was quite fun like the grand final and stuff but yeah I ended up getting a a few injuries had got glandular fever and I I was doing too much so Mm -hmm. I quit hockey then and um yeah and like I, I 
the first breakthrough for me was really making the World Junior um, World Juniors in 1998, and that was when mm-hmm. I met Eloise Wellings, and we roomed together. So that was so cool. And she was like 15; she was a lot younger than me. Um, but but yeah, it was awesome meeting her, and um, and then just going on a trip like that. That was my first team. Um, really as as a junior and then I went to the World Student Games in 99 but they're not you know that serious so really Sydney Olympics was the first team I made mm-hmm. um, since since um, sort of switching sports so yeah so I remember um, at Sydney Olympics like I, I marched into the closing ceremony with some of the girls from the hockey team and I knew heaps of the girls on the team and they're like oh wouldn't you rather have the gold medal because we won the gold medal and right yeah like, yeah I was like no nah, actually I'm so glad I was running um, yeah. and I you know, I almost made the final of the 5K and ran a PB in my heat um, and I had the most amazing experience. So it's sort of like, um, yeah, I was glad I, like I would have loved an Olympic gold medal, I guess, but, <laughs> but yeah, I was glad of the choice and running is such a great sport that what you put into it, you get out of it and, um, you know, but you have to be prepared to work for years just not to get huge results and then suddenly you make breakthroughs and that's what happened to me sort of you know, from 97 to 2000, I didn't, I improved, but not not to a world-class level, like a good Australian level, um, but not even to top two in Australia. So um, it was really a big breakthrough for me to win the 5K trials at the Sydney Olympic trial and make that team because I came fourth in the 1500 trial um, and that's what I'd been training for. So yeah. I was very yeah, I, was, I, I, was, did, I didn't realize that until I read about it that um, you know you were going for the fifteen and and missed out coming fourth there, but then um, obviously made the five k team. Um, it's interesting. I think that playing other sports definitely would have helped you as an athlete, and it, it probably you know made you really um, confident that you've made the right choice because you know you felt really at home um, ha- having run there and, and not being playing hockey. And I actually played hockey in school too and loved it. But I think yeah. at the end, end of the day, um, you know, playing a team sport. If you have a good day, um, your team might still lose. You have a bad day, your team might win. Um, but with running, you know, you, as you said, you get out of it what you put in. And um, at the end of the day, you can only look at yourself um, to to provide the results. So, you know, I, I kind of like that mentality of it. Yeah. And look, yeah, what you said is exactly right. And I reckon that was another one of the last draws for me with hockey was, yeah, like you could play your guts out and still lose. Um, or yeah, like it's just one of those things that it, it's all about the team, which is, I think, really good. If you, you know, it's a good skill to have because you've got to get mm-hmm. on with others. Um, when you go to these training camps um, with other athletes, you've got to be able to sort of be adaptable and, um, and, and work as a team. And I think that's an important aspect of running as well. So it's good. It's good to have that background. And that's really cool. What, what position did you play? Um, I, I was just on the wing usually, um, so running yeah. running up and down. I was terrible. When I got the ball, like it was a fluke if I made it anywhere near the right place. <laughs> but uh, I was just fast. So I think I realised that, you know, my skills were running uh, and I should probably just stick to that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's such a cool sport and I still follow it. And, um, yeah, it's it's um, we, we do so well on the world stage. Yeah, hockey, yeah, yeah. I've got a few friends who I went to, I played on a team with who have on the Olympic team now too. And, yeah, it's funny to, we joke about, you know, the fact that I definitely did the right thing yeah. <laughs> running that hockey. <laughs> yeah, and look, a lot of those hockey players, they hate the beep test and they hate anything yeah. over 1,500 to, yeah. to run. So um, we're completely different to that. So. Definitely. Yeah, so the Sydney Olympics is really the, you know, the start of your international running career um, as a senior. And it's funny, I, I did have a little bit of a fangirl moment looking at your results because I actually, we both ran 15.21 in the 5K at our first Olympics. So I was like, oh, this is anything to go by. I'm feeling pretty good. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you missed the final by two spots and were 17th overall. So, and as you said, a PB at the games, like a pretty good start to um, 
to your international career there and um, it only really just progressed from there. I think something to note, you know, when you were competing was that World Cross Country was every year. So, mm. you, you know, you had quite a lot of championships to prepare for um, year in and year out. It wasn't like there was a year off where, you know, no major championship was on. Was that kind of a different mentality, like always having to get up for the next championship? Yeah, look, it was pretty hard. And I, I reckon um, Sydney Olympics was probably my best Olympics. And mm. just talk, just looking back, um, I always ran really well at World Cross, but like some years I did World Cross Country, World Indoors, World Champs and the World Half. Yeah. So I reckon, um, you know, that's a lot of championships um, and a lot of really big races. So, yeah, look, it, it, it is hard. Um, I think it's very important to um, to do, you know, some really good strength training um, in our summer. So I'd always go to Falls Creek um, in, you know, November, December, sometimes even January um, and, and train. Or I was living in Canberra early on in my career as well. So I think being fit for World Cross when it was every year really set you up for a really mm. good um, track season so you know I was always going to do that sort of training anyway um, but it is really hard mentally to get up for those really big races um, and so you sort of have to um, you have to have to make sure that you have a lot of downtime um, at the end of each year so I didn't really ever do you know things around November December much so I didn't I never ran the 10k at Zatapec um, and I never really raced much in November and I think it was really important to have those months quite easy because the next year the next year is always you know so so many things on so um looking back you know it'd be one of those things that um I probably would have liked to have raced even in Australia a little bit more but um yeah. work out that way because you know we're, I was always overseas because that's where all the big championships were and um you know and that's where sort of um pretty much all the races I did um and the opportunities were as well so yeah it, it was tough but um one thing I, I just love cross country and I always ran well at world cross um mm. and it, just um, it was one of those things that um, I might have missed a couple, but I think I did eight um, in the end, and and one year I did both um, distances as well. So yeah, just just one of those things that um, you know I really just enjoyed the training and the prep for it, um, and um, and and one year I did the European cross country season as well. So I did yeah. really famous sort of races in Italy and Spain, and um, and that was really cool too. And I'd never really done that. Um, done that before so it was one of those things that um, you know I'm glad I got to experience that because it's a different sort of racing um, than you know the track season or the diamond leagues um, or even our domestic season here as well. Yeah definitely um, I think cross country is such an interesting one because it, it is so such a pure race and it, you just really have to race the course race the people around you um, you know go on effort and tr trust your instincts and we can get a bit too um, you know, worried about the pace, as we said, or looking at lap splits or, you know, getting in your head when you're on the track um, or on the road, you know, are you on pace? Are you not on pace? Uh, but cross country all goes out the window. And I think that's a really, really interesting thing about it. Yeah, look, and that's that's one thing I love about cross country and every course is different. And um, I love sort of going to places that I've never been before and never run the course and having a quick look at the course the day before. Um, and just kind of, you know, I raced some courses where they were like, um, you know, it might have been like, 20 or 30 laps of a tiny surface area. I raced this really weird race in Belgium once. Um, there was the smallest surface area course ever. Um, but then, you know, you race courses with like steeple jumps that have, um, you know, water, mud, um, and, you know, you have people losing shoes in, in yeah. mud, you know, and th things like that. Like my first cross country, um, there was mud up to your knees. Like it was in Ostend in Belgium. And, um, you know, you finished the race and you were just so just like we, our uniform was white that year and uh, we just finished and you just... Oh, no. Like, yeah, and like the harder the weather um, and course, uh, you know, the tougher the conditions, the better I ran usually. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, it's all about where you come in cross country. So that's what I loved about it, and um, and just racing people um, and like not looking at what they what they can do on the track because I used to beat a lot of Africans that had faster five k and ten k PBs than me, but in cross country I just didn't care because it's 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 different um, and there's so many things to think about and um, and to focus on in cross country as well that yeah it's cool I think it puts people a bit more at a level um, like playing field as well but look at yeah it's tough and they're tough like well cross when I won in 2004 um, that was the hardest race I ever did I felt so sick at the end um, it was it was harder than any marathon I did um, but emotionally as well I think um, and those yeah. big championships are always emotionally really hard um, but yeah I never even in marathons, never, never as bad as um, how it felt in some cross countries. But a good thing. But you know how some some of your fastest races feel easy, but cross yeah, country, oh, yeah, it never, never never feels yeah. good from the gun. Yeah. I had to remi- had to remind myself that at World Cross this year, like yeah. it's going to hurt from literally the first five hundred meters. So yeah. you, you in two thousand four, you won the long course. Um, it was a twelve second victory, which I believe is one of the biggest victories um, at these championships. Um, you know, it was a really big deal to be non African winning this race. And really just sticking it to them in the race and, and challenging for the win. And um I know you'd had a, you know, you'd had a few 2004, you won, but it was um 2003 you came fifth, 2002 you came fourth, and and from then you had a few more places, you know, around the mark. So a really big deal for you to get the win after kind of narrowly missing the podium a few times. It must have felt amazing. Yeah, look, yeah, going to that race in 2004, like, yeah, 2003, um, I was in the short course race in Lausanne in Switzerland and it was a really hot day and I thought I was going to come third. So I was really close to coming third and it was only like 20 or 30 metres to the line and I could see these shadows either side of me and it was like, yeah, two Africans coming up and I went from third to fifth in a flash and I was so pissed off all year and like fifth in World Cross is awesome. But to me, um, I, I was so annoyed all year about that result and I think that, and in 2003, I, you know, ran an Australian 10K record. I came third in the World Half Marathon. Um, I had some really good, really good races. So I think that really motivated me to be better. Um, and going into that race in 2004, I knew I was in good shape and I'd beaten Dorada Tulu, um, who's a... Um, who's an Ethiopian um, athlete who'd won Olympic gold medals. I'd beaten her in a cross country in Japan just uh, a few months before. And, um, yeah, and so I just I knew I was in really good shape. And to me, I didn't talk about what shape I was in. I just I just knew by, you know, training sessions or people that I'd, I'd beaten. And um, and I knew that, you know, if I if I got a bit of a gap on on the, um, the Africans and I knew in that course in Belgium when I won, it was cold, it was raining, it was hilly, there was heaps of mud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had to wear 15 mil spikes and put them in with pliers in your shoe and put strapping tape over the middle of your shoe and stuff. And that that, course, that was a course that was perfect for me. And so, um, you know, I was pumped about those conditions. And going into that race, I knew I was fit, um, but I never, I, I knew I'd be up there, but, um, and you've got to give yourself a chance, but I just never, never thought, um, you know, I never thought that um, I, I might win, but I had to give myself a chance to win. And there was a big hill at the start of each lap. And um, I knew the African girls that I was running with in the second and third lap, they were sort of slowing down a bit on the big hill. And um, so I, 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 and it was four laps. So it was 8K, four laps of a 2K course. And so in that last lap, I knew I, I have to gap them um, if I, if I want to get away here. And um, and so I had a gap with about 1,500 to go and the BBC commentators were sort of saying, I can't believe Benita's done this, you know, like what's going on? And they didn't give me any hope to win even at the start when they were introducing everyone. Um, and not that I care what commentators think, but it's more um, in my mind then once you get a gap, you can't you can't let them close it. And I was like, 
scared the whole rest of the, the rest of the way through. Um, but it was one of those things that, um, you know, you've got to take big risks to get big results. And, um, and that was a big risk. And I mean, you know, it was one of those things that I was willing to do it um, and put everything on the line. And I, I certainly throughout my career, I took heaps of big risks that didn't pay off. Um, but yeah, look, I, I was kind of, there was a really long finishing straight in Brussels that year. And um, and I couldn't even hear where they were, but I was just going as hard as I could. And um, it was just one of those races that was really hard to tell where other people were. And I do want to look back because, you know, when you look back, people think that you're <laughs> slowing down. <laughs> but I was hurting people. So, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was like one of those races that I'll always remember and it hurt so much. Like it was the hardest race I ever did. But um, I was never quite in that position to win again. So, you know, I got heaps of fourths, heaps of fifths, um, heaps of top eight placings, um, but I was never in a position to win again. And I think um, as an elite athlete, like, you know, we're only ever in these positions a few times in our career. So you've got to make the most of it um, and you get old quickly. So, um, you know, you, and, and those those opportunities pass by. So um, you have to make the most of the opportunities while you're young and um, and you're ready for it. So I'm very, very, very happy, um, very lucky to have won one. Um, but, yeah, look, at, they're, they're tough to win, um, mm-hmm. tough to even top, top 10 in World Oh, Wales. yeah, I think, like, the fact that you had so many high placings around that mark shows um, so shows how hard it is to nail it on that one day, um, and it's it's incredible. And I'm yeah, you know how good that you managed to get that win and and you know be the world cross country champion because you know you had quite a few races where it could have been you, you know it might have been you, but it just wasn't you know it wasn't the day. And yeah, and look, I love watching you guys running Bathurst, and it's just like I still, I still remember watching that race, and I get so nervous watching people race, and um, and seeing how hard it is, and um, it's been so long since I've competed. I'm like, oh, I don't know how I did that. Did that one <laughs> <day."> <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it is so hard. Like I, I did that, and cross country does not come naturally to me. Um, hills just do not come naturally to me, and I, you know, I probably need to work on that a little more get a bit stronger but my next marathon session the following week was so easy just like being on a flat road I was like this is crazy like this is so easy <laughs> yeah and look, I think helps. another thing is, yeah like you have everyone like pushing you and it's 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 pretty rough too um and I think there's lots of other races we do in track and field that you don't have that sort of um that, that sort of people just running at you and running so close to you. So you've got to sort of hold your own a bit um, and it's, yeah, it's pretty frantic. So, mm-hmm. but look, I love watching you you guys all race in Bathurst and um, it brought back memories, but like, oh, geez, the pain of cross yeah. country. <laughs> Always painful. Um, in 2002, just before that, you broke the Australian record running 1447 to come third place um, in Berlin. That record, as we said, stood for 18 years um, until it was broken by Jess. And then the following year, you broke the Australian record in the 10K, running 30-37 to be um, eighth place at the Paris World Championships. These two races, you know, standouts in your career. Um, Was it a perfect day, those races? Did everything just fall into place um, to get those incredible results? Yeah, look, it's interesting. So the when I ran 14.47 in Berlin, um, that came after the Manchester Commonwealth Games um, where I fell over in the 5K. Um, I ran a 1,500 and 5K at those Com Games and I reckon I ran pretty bad in both of them. Um, and so it sort of came off um, and I had a bit of an injury before that as well. So that year um, I ran really well at World Indoors, um, but that year sort of, um, yeah, like it wasn't that good. And then I started um, training better and I ran um, – a low like 1501 or 1502 or something like that in a 5k in Hyde Park on the road wow. and that was 
a week or two before that Berlin race. And yeah, even even that um, 1447 I ran, um, I came third in, and they're called golden leagues in those days, but they're like diamond leagues now. Um, And I, I, the first 3K I ran nine minutes flat because I just didn't really know. I didn't want to take too much of a risk. I didn't really know what shape I was in. And then the last 2K I ran um, a lot faster. So, um, you know, and I was just passing people. So I always love those races where you yeah, sort of hold back a bit at the start and then you, when you're passing people, you get so much momentum. And that was a massive negative split, huge breakthrough in my career. Um, and it was one of those sort of races that I'll always remember as, um, you know, a race that um, that felt quite easy, like it didn't feel hard at all the whole race. And, um, and it was just so fun too. Um, and, yeah, like uh, I never ran... I, I like I ran another 5k under 15 minutes um but yeah I never ran like that again in another 5k on the track but yeah everything just sort of went, went right that day and um and it was really good conditions um and yeah I think um it was one of those races that yeah like you know when you get to track meet sometimes it's not good conditions but that was really good weather um and and I think I paced it well so it was one of those races that some a lot of people in front of me started a lot faster and they were all blowing up and I was mm-hmm. passing them in the last 2k but that 10k and the Paris World Champs, um, uh, Lorna, Lorna Kiplagat, um, she runs from for the Netherlands. She was going for, for a sub-30-minute 10K, I think. Um, and I think maybe people thought Paula Radcliffe might be running, but Paula wasn't in the race. So everyone was sort of training for that race, thinking it was going to be sort of a sub-30-minute race or something really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, the weather was pretty good. It was pretty late at night in that. Like, it was quite hot during the day in Paris, but the weather was pretty good. Um and I know my first um, my first five k was fifteen ten, so I went out a little bit little bit quick, um, but it felt felt easy. Um, there was lots of Russians in those days too that have since um, sort of been banned from the sport. So um, oh, I remember, yeah, yeah. So they, a lot of them were um, were in the race. But look, it was one of those races that I blew up a little bit in the second half, but still um, still remember it as as being a really good run. And um, and I. I only ran once under 31 minutes. So I ran a 31.0 something, I think, for 10K. Um, but, like, 10Ks on the track I find so hard mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, but, it, look, being a world champs and having a PB in a world champs, I think, for me, was huge because you always want to run your best in world champs. Mm-hmm. But, obviously, world champs are often when it's really hot. Um, so you don't often get the chance. And 10Ks at the Olympics or world champs are often always really hot. So they're hard races um, to, to sort of show the training you've been doing because that, because you often get slower times because of the weather and people don't see that um, when they see the results. So I was pretty lucky with that world champs. Um, and, yeah, and, and having really good competition as well, um, yeah, was was good. And I didn't really even, like I wasn't even targeting a national record or, or paces. Um, I was more just racing the race. So that's probably why I went out so hard. But, yeah, look, it felt felt easy but the last half was pretty tough yeah yeah well I think sometimes you have to take that risk and and run with the people around you and not really worry about it um because at the end of the day you you know you're in the race to race so you kind of have to give it a crack I think it's really interesting hearing you talk about that um Australian record in the 5k I didn't realize um you know what a negative split it was I definitely can resonate with that. Like I've tried now going out a lot faster and it hasn't worked for me. My best races in the 5k have come from when I've, um, you know, gone through in, in nine minutes or over and, uh, and, uh, you know, wound it up towards the end. So it's, yeah, definitely, um, it's interesting when you have a good day, it feels so easy and you can, you know, go out really hard and, and end up running 20 seconds slower and it feels so much harder. 
Yeah. And look, I think different athletes, like there were some athletes that I used to train with and they could really go out really hard in track mm. races and still finish on quite well and it not affect them as much. But for me, if I went out a little bit hard, my last bit was a lot worse. So yeah. I don't know, people I coach, I always try to tell them negative splits the best way to run a fast race. But yeah, um, yeah certainly some of my PBs haven't been like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that 10K is just amazing, like 30, 37. Um, now, you know, you have to, the new qualifying standards, you have to run under 30, 40. And that's really stirred up, you know, people in, in the running community going, that's crazy. But, you know, it shows that, you know, you're the only Australian to have ever um, gone that fast. And, and that's what it's going to take to, you know, make it to the world championships these days. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible, um, you know, how far we've come, but also, you know, how ahead of the game you were um, back in 2003. Yeah, that's ridiculous though as a qualifying time because, you know, that was a one, once in my career and um, it's so hard to get, like for a 10Ks on the track, like you've got to get good conditions, mm-hmm. got to get, good, you know, good pack to run with, be in good shape. Like it's 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 harder than just running, um, you know, fast over 1500 or 800. So yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, thirty forty is the new standard. So uh, I think uh, people will either go five k or marathon. <laughs> we'll yeah, see. yeah, brutal. Yeah. Um, in two thousand three, I think you also mentioned you were third place at the world half, and it kind of looks like in your career from this stage, you made more of a shift towards um, the the longer races, so to speak, whether it was a ten k on the track or uh, more of the road running. And I read I read a little bit about maybe you saying that you know you were kind of coming forth or outside the medals or not being in the final kick and and that's why you shifted towards a longer focus is that correct yeah look I thought yeah like I thought I was pretty good at sort of 5k and 10k but like but not good enough to be you know getting medals so um 2001 at the world indoors over 3k I came sixth Mm -hmm. and that was sort of the first time in my mind that I thought I could be a world-class athlete um and then I came sixth again at world cross a few weeks later but that 3k um, I thought, yeah, like I could, you know, I, I could be good enough here to sort of be really, really competitive on the world stage. But yeah, as a few years went by, and I had some fast times, but I felt like I wasn't quite good enough to, yeah, to be in the medals at world champs over those sort of distances, 5K, 10K. Um, and like, I love, I love the longer races and I love training on the road and, um, and I love sort of turns and you know th- courses that weren't sort of dead flat all the time um mm-hmm. like at shore surfaces like the track so I thought yeah like I'd love to do some longer races so yeah so that world half in 2003 um I, that was coming off the back of um that national record over 10k and in those days you didn't have to run a half qualifier you could qualify from 10k I don't know if that's still a rule now but right. I qualified off 10k um and so I'd never done a half before right. um and it yeah, it was in um, Portugal and it was laps of, it was six laps of a course with, I think in the race there was 120 turns. Like it was like, wow. a, yeah, like it was in Villa More, like it was a little boat town and yeah. um, it was really hot. Like it was um, oh, really hot. I can't remember what temperature it was, but um, it was one of those races that was never going to be really fast. Um, mm. The course wasn't, you know, wasn't ideal, um, but like I loved the course and yeah, and I was coming um, and so Paula Radcliffe and Bahan Adiri were first and second in that race and they they were sort of running almost world records or Paula was probably running world records then. Um, and so they, you know, they sort of set the pace. So I sort of went out fairly hard and then I, yeah, I thought, oh, probably, it's probably a little bit fast for me. Um, so, I, I, you know, I was coming fifth or sixth or seventh most of the way and I passed a few girls and um, and I wasn't coming third until the last sort of um, 500 metres or even less, wow. I think, last 
straight. So, yeah, so I was really pumped with that race. Um, and, yeah, and, and then after I did that half, I was like, oh, I'd love to do more sort of road races and longer races. And I'd done a lot of road races over 5 and 10K. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, that, then I thought, oh, I'd love to, yeah, do do something longer. But, um, yeah, so it's always a bit of a progression. But um, that race showed me that, yeah, I had probably the ability to be better at the longer stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But having said that, I think because my 5K and 10K times were so good, the half marathon was, you know, was pretty good. And then if, you, if you've got a good time of the half, it translates quite well to the marathon if you're doing the right training. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it was a natural progression. And I was still quite, like, I reckon I was 24 when I did my first marathon. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't old, um, but um, yeah, it was quite one a, of those. Was that New, yeah. York in two, New York in 2004? Yeah. So, yeah. So that year I won World Cross and then I had a bit of had a pretty bad injury and I, I still did Athens Olympics but I didn't yeah. run that well I did yeah that 10K. was a 10k yeah yeah and then I, I won the Great North Run and ran 67 yeah. 50 something 55 um, 55 <laughs> yeah so you're, yeah, you're on the ball um, yeah so I always forget the exact times yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah like that Great North Run win um oh it's a massive against, race yeah yeah massive race and there was a massive field like um and I was you know really happy with that run and um that was like that second best um, run to World Cross and mm-hmm. probably one of the greatest wins in my career that that day. And it's um, unfortunate that that those that course is not counted as like for records and and such because I yeah. know it, I know it's, it's they call it like a maybe it's because of the start finish being too far away or a net downhill, but I, I hear it's quite actually quite a challenging race. Yeah, it's um, quite a hard race. Yeah, it's a bit like um, Boston Marathon. So I think yeah. the start um, the elevation is is too much. Um, okay. But, but, I mean, Boston still can be hard um, and yeah. you can't, yeah, so it's the same sort of thing. But, like, it's it's massive and um, and I love that company. So I did a lot of those great runs and I'm sure you've done a few. Um, you probably end up doing lots. Have you done any of them? Yet? I actually haven't. I've been oh, yeah. been supposed to do the great um, North Run a couple of times, but it just hasn't worked out that I've, that I've stayed over for that long. But um, maybe this year, yeah. It yeah, yeah, love yeah. Like I did, you know, Great Manchester Run, Great Edinburgh Run. Mm. Um, they're everywhere. So, um, and I worked for that company for a little while um, after the Beijing Olympics because um, mm-hmm. I was injured and um, just trying to do something else. So yeah, so I was living up in Newcastle working for them. But yeah, it's it's a cool it's a cool event. And yeah, so um, that was a huge run. And then um, training was going well for New York, but I just didn't didn't run that well. Um, didn't didn't nail it. I was certainly in a lot better shape than I ran two thirty eight, but mm-hmm. I was devastated. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, I stuffed this up. But it's the marathon, you know. And sometimes you've just got to sort of work out what went wrong. Um, and then, but you can't just do another one two weeks later. So no. you've got to sort of, yeah, you got to get over it, um, move on, and um, and get some, you know, do some shorter races, and then get back to the marathon. So yeah, so it was a funny year. It was a bit of a roller coaster year. Yeah, I imagine that kind of finishing off with some disappointment. It would have, you know, for you overshadowed a lot of the achievements you'd done earlier in the year. But you have to really like you know, focus on everything you achieved and and the one, you know, subpar result. As you said, like the marathon's a whole different thing. And um, yeah, especially in New York being your first one, I feel like that's quite a hard course. So what what happened on the day there? Like what, what kind of um played out in the race for you? Yeah, I think um like I I feel like the lead up was pretty good, but I reckon I might have had a week or two with like a little injury. So I must have been doing some water running and stuff. Um and that must have been after the Great North Run. Um, but I reckon I did, I also did the Great South Run and I reckon I sort of maybe trained a little bit hard and felt, just felt like um, I wasn't um, as, 
Um, you know, some marathon preps, like you feel like you're running your best three weeks before the race. Um, and I feel like, and you learn it by trial and error. Um, and I was the sort of person that I just did whatever training was set. I didn't like to sort of change anything, um, especially when I was that young too. Like as you get older, you sort of learn mm. that, um, you know, maybe you should adjust things. Yeah, 20, um, but, 24 is young yeah. to be doing that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think most of us are like that. Um, sort of don't want to. You don't want to change the program. You want to do everything. You want to train harder than you've been training. And um, and I think I learned that a bit the hard way. And so I just didn't. Um, I didn't feel good from the start. Um, I think I might have even carb loaded a bit too much. Um, but I, like I went through halfway in seventy one or seventy two. So I went pretty fast at the start. Um, might have even been seventy three. But it was fairly. It was fairly fast for New York um, and then the second half I felt pretty bad. So, yeah, so it was one of those days where um, you're just happy to finish and, like, I, like I've had a few marathons that haven't been very good um, but um, I've always finished them and um, it's just one of those things that um, marathons, when you when when they go well, they're awesome um, and if they're not going well, it's such a long way um, and usually you know early on if it's not going to be a good one and I think in New York I knew early on I wasn't feeling good um, and, yeah, and mentally it, they're the hardest ones to finish but I think they help you the most in your career and you learn the most from them um, and, you know, going from that race to um, – um, I went 2.38 then my next marathon was 2.26 and then I went 2.22. So mm. I improved a lot and learned a lot. Incredible. But, yeah, but, like, that was oh, that was tough and I was so, I was so upset afterwards. And, um, and just, yeah, just because, you know, you put a lot into a marathon prep, um, but you've also got to sort of make sure you recover properly um, and not get back into racing too quickly and then get over it too and then move on. And that's what I did as well. And, um, and you can't sort of dwell on the past. You've got to sort of look at what's in the future and what you've got coming up and um, and sort of focus on that then and um, and not sort of let it knock your confidence around too much because it can, um, but you've just got to sort of stay positive and know, look, I, I was in good shape. I was training really well and it's going to happen. Um, it's just a matter of um, being patient with it as well. Yeah, definitely. And so the following year, uh, London Marathon, you came six in 226.32. So, um, you know, 12 minute progression um, down to that. And I, how, how did things pan out on the day for you there in London? Yeah, I can't remember that race as much, but I think it was um, pretty good. Yeah, like it's funny that you you remember yeah. the bad races more than the yeah. good ones. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't. But I remember. Um, I remember I thought I was probably in a bit better shape than that, okay. but that's still huge um, improvement. Um, yeah. Yeah, and um, and I did a world cross in that prep as well, um, and I found that race really hard. So that was the year after I won, and I reckon mm -hmm. I came seventh. seventh. Yeah, um, yeah, seventh in France. Yeah, and it was really hot, um, really hot. But like, I I was really annoyed because I thought I I thought I was in a bit better shape, and I was a bit annoyed because the year before I came first, and then I yeah. came seventh. But, like, it's hard, like, in a marathon prep, looking back, it's hard to race really well over the shorter stuff um, when you're getting ready for a marathon. Um, but, yeah, look, that that race, um, I, I think I, I won the half a half marathon in Berlin um, either in that prep or another prep when I did London. Might have been in 2000. Yeah, 2007 you won yeah. Berlin half in 108.28 and then went into London Marathon 229.47 um, yeah. in 2007. Yeah, so that's yeah, so that so that um that London Marathon where I ran around two twenty six. I think I just wanted to run a lot better than two thirty eight. So yeah. I was sort of sort of really happy to run that sort of time. Um and yeah, and but I still I still remember finishing that race thinking I want to run faster in the next marathon. And I didn't you know, didn't do another one that year then. And I think that was a really good decision because it was sort of um, I think to get better at the marathon, you've got to still make sure that you're really um, getting faster and you're still focusing on shorter stuff. So um, I still did lots of shorter races um, and um, and then looked at Com Games in Melbourne in 2006. But yeah, that that Berlin half, 
um, I was in really good shape then and trying to break the Australian half marathon record, but it didn't, I, I didn't quite, yeah, it didn't quite run uh, fast enough in the last sort of 5K. Um, but yeah, that's, that was another hard when you're already getting the win too, like, you know, yeah. If yeah. you haven't got someone around you to push you right to the line and, and to really compete, which, you know, you sound like you're, you're great at running fast times so that you're, you're a competitor. Um, so, you know, the race gets you, gets you going. Yeah, look, yeah, I was never good at running time trial sort of races. So even in marathons, all my best marathons were sort of like races. They weren't paced. I didn't have pacemakers. I didn't have um, like not like the track sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, and like cross country. So I always ran best in races when there wasn't a focus on what pace are we doing, are we on pace, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just all about racing who's there. Um, and I think for me that made me feel more relaxed and mm-hmm. the more relaxed I felt in a race, the better I ran. So when I look back at my career, yeah, the the, the better races were always those mixed marathons where men were there too um, and that were sort of, um, yeah, just sort of running on feel and um, and focusing on beating, beating everyone I could. Yeah. So from 2004, 2005 and then into 2006, you went from 238, 226 to 222, 36, um, breaking the Australian and Oceania record and coming third place in the Chicago Marathon. Uh, this record stood for 16 years until Sinead broke it uh, last year. Uh, it's your third marathon and out of eight and it was your best one. Um, it's an incredible chunk of time to take off in a marathon. Um, I guess tell us a bit more about how how that day went. Yeah, look, I, I reckon the um the prep before that race was was pretty good. Like I came second in the Great North Run in 2006 and I think I ran like 70-something, so 70-40, I think. So I didn't run quite as hard in that, that half, but I reckon it might have helped my preparation a bit because it was more some, some marathon pace and a little bit faster at the end. Um, and I, I remember um, my sister came over to to London and she was riding on the bike a bit with me and um and it was sort of one of those one of those preps that was pretty relaxed and um it wasn't you know I remember I remember this session that I did before Chicago that was six times two K um and then a one K hard and I know you guys have probably done that one before and it was in London it was in um September towards the end of September pouring rain freezing cold and I still remember it and it was just just the most depressing conditions ever but like I, like I, I remember that session um, thinking, you know, it's probably not going to be worse than this when I race. Um, and it's one of those sessions that you always kind of think about when you're in the marathon. Um, and, yeah, that's one one sort of one session that, that I, I still remembered um, when I was in the race. But, yeah, like going into Chicago, um, it was really cold, but it was windy. So the wind chill was like minus three or four or something. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's very hard. Chicago is very windy in the last 10K, um, a, a big headwind if it's windy. Um, and so I know I ran the whole racing gloves and um, warmers and like one of those headband things over my ears. But like I loved, I loved it when it was cold. And I just certainly did, I did another Chicago the year after and it, and it was like 35 degrees. Yeah, so I, saw, I saw the <laughs> result being 238 yeah. coming fifth um, the following yeah. year. And I thought it, it must have been a really hot day. And I know that it can be pretty tough in Chicago um, that time of the year. Yeah, it was brutal. But like that, yeah, so that race, um, I, um, yeah, like I was just sort of, I knew there was a girl in, um, in it called Constantina Dita who ended up winning 2008 Olympics from Romania and she was going to go out really fast in, um, I think, uh, 67 or something, um, which was fast for those days too. Oh. So I was never going to go out that fast. Um, so I sort of just ran with the net, with the second pack and um, and I think the first um, half was like 70, 10 or 70, 
quite fast. Um, but like it felt so easy. And um, and so I was in a pack with a few Russians um, and a few other few other people. But I remember um, it was funny because I was sort of just running in the pack and um, the Russians, they kept turning around and saying something to me in Russian. And I reckon they were saying, you know, um, lead because it was windy. And I was like, there's no way I'm leading because yeah. it's windy. I'm just going to sit at the back of the pack here. Yeah. And um, they were all fired up. But it was quite funny because, um, you know, things like that, like you've got to sort of stick to, when you don't have pacemakers and stuff, you sort of got to stick to a plan and and know where the wind is. And um, and I didn't take hardly any, like I had all my drinks every 5K, but I only would have taken like a sip of sports mm-hmm. drink. I didn't take any gels. Um, and I didn't know what pace I was on. So I had a watch on, but it just really, you know, it was just one of those watches that, um a stopwatch really mm. so it didn't tell pace or anything didn't t- even tell heart rate um so I knew obviously my half split but I didn't know anything after that so I at about 30k 30 probably 32k I was feeling it, and that was when it was starting to be like really against the wind in the last 10k and um and I was coming like sort of fifth and then um I passed someone and then Constantina um had blown up a heap so then I knew I was coming third and I think in the marathon too, you feel energy when you're passing people, even if it's men. Yeah. And so I sort of, um, even though I thought I was probably slowing down, um, I wasn't slowing down as, as, as quick as a lot of people. And, um, and then I sort of turned into the home straight and I could see 221, I think on the clock. And I knew, I knew I was running fast then. I knew, mm. I was, geez, and it was like a long finishing straight. So I ended up running 222, but, um, yeah, it's one of those things that, in my mind, I thought I was running like 225 or 226. I didn't really know. Um, and, yeah, it's one of those things that I was just obviously trying to go as hard as I could to the finish, but, um, but yeah, had no idea what pace I was on or anything. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was, it was really um, one of those races. I don't think it was ideal conditions, um, but it was cold um, and that's what you want. And I don't think I did any marathons in my career that were ideal conditions, but you can't sort of let things like that worry you too much. You've got to obviously change your plan if it's really hot, but if it's cold and windy, um, it's still pretty good conditions. Um, so you've sort of got to make the most of it. And, um, yeah, and I never ran one anywhere, anywhere near as fast as that. So um, it's one of those things, like mentally, I probably wasn't in a good space for marathon between 2008 and 2012 I did a lot of didn't race that much um and I lived I was living moved to America so um I didn't get that sort of opportunity again so I was really um fortunate to to run that sort of time and um yeah and to be in that race and yeah well it was fun and look I never I didn't run the course or anything um I didn't even know the course I just knew it was point to point and um and it was cool weaving in and out of the building so I love all the turns and things and those sort of marathons so yeah I didn't I wasn't one of those people that had to run sections of the course constantly to know where the course went like a marathon's a long way I kind of think yeah, you get to know it, it's fine. There'll be cones yeah. and people out there. You, you don't yeah. want to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not going to yeah. get lost. It's very interesting to hear about that and the different mentality. And I, I do think that, um, you know, we, we have shifted towards maybe too much data, especially in a marathon. And, um, you know, obviously just from my own small experience of my two marathons, like when things weren't going so well towards the end and I was on my own, like, you know, knowing exactly what pace you're running and, and uh, you know, like kind of knowing what your projected time is going to be that they're kind of um yeah tough things to kind of have to know while you're actually out there struggling so I think a little bit of that blindness and just kind of knowing enough like knowing your half split um and just having to internally work out how you're feeling um is something that we maybe you know runners who are who are competing now need to kind of like get back to that mentality a little bit 
Yeah, and I think like you know, there's there's advantages and disadvantages to both, but um, it's kind of yeah. I, I think it would have got me down a lot, even in that race when I was running so fast to sort of see splits and and looking at them and going, oh, it's really slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, I did do at the end of my career, I had a um, I had a watch with a GPS, and I remember qualifying for uh, London Olympics um, in Houston Marathon and. Um, and in those days, it was not as hard as you guys. Um, so I think I only had to run about 228 to qualify. And, um, and you know, I, that was the, the most fun I'd ever had in a marathon. It felt easy and I knew what split I had to do and I was just looking at my splits the whole race. So mm-hmm. it was a completely different race, different experience. But, um, but you know, it can be helpful having split times and knowing what you're sure. on to. Um, but, but I think when you're feeling it, yeah, like it's better to go and feel and, um, and to focus on the race and not think about slowing down. Cause they, a lot of people do slow down. Like it's not, I mean, yeah, a lot of people say the best way to run a marathon is to negative split. But for me, that's not how, you know, I ran it. And I was probably a bit aggressive in marathons. Um, I always think, I should have probably been a bit more relaxed um, early on, but um, that's just how I used to race. And it's probably why I was really good at cross country because I was always aggressive from the start, but mm. probably not quite as consistent at the marathon. I think it hurt me yeah. a bit in the marathon. It's hard though because you see a lot of people, um, I think most people are looking at results like, you know, you're going to slow in the second half usually. Uh, so, you know, it does feel easier that first half. Like, as you said, you know, running 70 something, it, it felt easy and, you know, maybe, you know, you're going to slow down regardless. So you may as well set yourself up um, through halfway, um, you know, to a certain extent, uh, not going like over the line where you're going to blow up and be running, you know, backwards. But uh, maybe it is that having to just put a little bit of effort in that first half to kind of set yourself up and just see what happens the second half. Yeah, and look, I think to get the big breakthroughs in the marathon, you've got to take a, a fairly big risk. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, there's a chance it's not going to pay off. Um, but I think you've got to risk, you've got to take a risk. And um, and I always tell people too, it's probably not the first few, few you do. It's more once you've a bit more um, accomplished. And look, for me, it was my third one that I took a big mm-hmm. risk. But, um, you know, once you learn the, the event a bit, um, to make, to get the big breakthroughs, you need to take a bit of a risk. Because otherwise, if we just sort of ran within our comfort zone, you're always going to run about the same time and um and look having yeah like it's not going to maybe not going to pay off but then when it does pay off it's it's something huge that you do and it doesn't matter if you're an elite athlete or um you know or you're just trying to break four hours or five hours like it's still a risk to to the fitness you're at um to to do what you're going to do so you've got to sort of work out um you know what what the best thing for you to do is and um yeah and it's hard to to run like that but it's one of those things that it pays off um when when it comes off yeah certainly and as you said, in 2007, um, you ran the London Marathon and Chicago Marathon, um, seventh and fifth respectively, and, and you also had that Berlin half PB, 108.28 there. So, yeah, a good a good year. Um, and it wasn't until the following year, Be- Beijing, where you ran um, the marathon there at the Olympics and, and finished 21st in 232. After that, you'd have a break for three and a half years from the marathon. So I, I guess you, you kind of touched on it. Your mindset wasn't quite um, in the space of marathoning. Um, yeah, how was Beijing Olympics and and what kind of changed in your mindset there? Yeah, look, I think I ran quite well in Beijing compared um, given what I'd been. So my um, father passed away from a neurological disease. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. Yeah, so that was. And you were overseas I, at the time. Yeah, so I was in a race. I, do, I was doing it. So I like. So he got this probably a couple of years before, like probably about two thousand and seven. And we knew we knew he like with neurological diseases. There's often you don't know what it is. So he was getting worse and worse. He's been healthy all his life. Like he's always run and stuff. 
And so, yeah, I was a ra- I won a race in New York, a 5K, and it was um, – I got all these messages on my phone. It was 2008, and I was about to go home anyway. And then so I came I, – you know, he'd passed away sort of during that race, which was pretty – pretty scary and pretty like like we, oh, like we knew it was going to happen but it was just sort of um you know it's one of those things that you're always trying to find like what's wrong with him and then he's just getting worse and worse so I think with that as well like um you know I came home and um and then I, but I still you know he would have still wanted me to do the Olympics and stuff so I sort of I wanted to be in the 10k in Beijing but I just didn't really have enough time to qualify like I tried to qualify but I probably wasn't mentally in the right space but then I you know I was in the marathon and I think that run was pretty good compared to sort of what I'd been through and then sort of yeah, so I took a lot of that rest of that year off and just came home and saw mum and stuff. And yeah, it was pretty, yeah, still pretty hard to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. It sounds yeah. like a really difficult time. And I mean, being yeah. away from your family and I mean, especially just not having that contact and, and feeling like you're, you know, you're not able to be there for the people you love and support them. It would have been really challenging and always hoping that, you know, hoping for the best. And when something like that, like that happens, I can imagine it would just be absolutely heartbreaking and, and to not be there. But as you said, like he would have wanted you to be, um, doing what you love and, and competing at the Olympics so I'm sure he was he was looking down on you and very proud of you to, to do that run in Beijing yeah and like it's one of those things that you know he used to follow everything I did and mm. um, he didn't he came to Melbourne Com Games but you know he never came overseas so Melbourne mm. Games and Sydney Olympics was awesome yeah, um, yeah like yeah, so I think it was one of those things that I just took a bit of time. I moved to America and, um, yeah, and just took time to get back to to running well. Um, yeah. Like I think sometimes in your career too, like for me it was sort of getting over that but also like, you know, I'd been doing the same thing for so long. So, mm. um, yeah, I moved to America and then, yeah, got back on um, some good training. and But, yeah, it did take a long time. So it's sort of one of those things that, you know, I worked a lot then and started a business over there and, um, yeah, it was just one of those one of those things that I really just wanted to make one more Olympic. So I was still pretty young. Like I reckon mm. I reckon I was about 29, 30. Yeah, I was still mm. young, you know, but like I was sort of like feeling like, oh, I don't know if, you know, how much longer I want to do this. So yeah. it's one of those things that, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like thinking I want to make four Olympics. So that's my sort of thought process of doing that. And um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of do something different. So it always like I'd been to Boulder a lot and trained and I always sort of wanted to live there. And um, yeah, it was one of those things that, yeah, it was sort of a good decision to go over there and um, and just meet some new people too. Yeah. I think it shows um, that, you know, as athletes, we're not, you know, we're not robots. Like we've got emotions and feelings and, um, you know, you do have to, uh, you know, when things happen in life, like you have to make adjustments to your goals or, you know, your race plans or what the year might look like and um, nothing's ever linear. So, you you know, you can't plan for what's coming ahead, whether it's injuries or, or you know, things happening in, in your life that you can't control. Um, but it sounds like, you know, that was a nice um, a nice change for you moving to the States. And as you said, you'd spent a lot of time, um, you know, living in Canberra, Melbourne, uh, London and and then and then Boulder being like a, a new start, I guess, after spending a few times being there on training camps. So um, Boulder, a running community, seems amazing. So I'm sure you had plenty of people to run with. <laughs> yeah, it was so cool. Like, and I still got really good friends there, and like, I still coach people that I coached there like years ago that I I think I mentioned earlier. And yeah, yeah like Boulder was so fun. I ended up getting a green card, and um, yeah, and it was just one of those things that like I hadn't up until that point. I'd sort of been living between. Melbourne and London, traveling everywhere, and sort of, I just wanted to live somewhere more permanently. Um, so, I did do some races, but really, the biggest race I did was the Vegas half marathon. Um, that was the end of two thousand and eleven, going into you know the London Olympics. So, 
yeah, so it's just one of those um, those times where, like, things don't always go to plan and you, you can't, like, that's why I always tell people that I work with too, you can't force things. Um, and so, you know, when you, ch- when you have big changes in your life, you've got to sort of, um, yeah, you've got to sort of make sure that you do what makes you happy, but that might take a while too. And I've also had a big, pretty big relationship breakdown too. So um, just going there and having a fresh start was really cool. And um, and like I probably would have stayed in Boulder as well, but my sister had a baby. Um, that would have been 2013. So, yeah, so after London Olympics, I was like, oh, I think I want to come home and, and like see my, you know, niece and yeah. now I've got heaps of nephews. So, yeah, it's just one of those things that, yeah, you sort of never know. Like um, I still have friends from Australia that live over there and um, have stayed over living overseas. But for me, you know, I'm, you know, fortunate to be able to move back to Australia and, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, um, I think it shows there's yeah. different, yeah. different stages in life where um, different priorities and whether like, you know, you made that choice after that time that, you know, family and being close to your niece and, and, and your sister and, and your family was going to be a more important thing. Um, whereas, you know, previously you're running and, and you know, the training location might have been the more important factor. Yeah, like I think um, for me, just staying in one place and mm-hmm. um, and just getting to know a community as well. And like Boulder, like the community is awesome. Um, it's sort of like, it's funny actually though, because we used to go on these runs in high mountain towns. And um, so all the towns surrounding Boulder, there was lots of hillbillies and so they'd come out with their shotguns oh my and God. Things, saying, what are you doing running? And like, so yeah, so it's kind of like you live in Boulder. They're like, you Boulder people think so you can do whatever you want. And I'd always say, well, I'm actually from Australia. So, um, <laughs> but my mates would always like I'd always have to talk to these hillbillies yeah. because they'd, they'd be out there with their shotguns and yeah. we're not running on their property. But like I'm used to seeing people up on these, like there's so many flat dirt roads up there and it's awesome for training and they're not used to seeing people running so close to their front fence mm. or something. So, you know, they're out there with a gun and it's such a different, I, I remember a lot of times running out up there in the high mountains and um, and seeing like, you know, people shooting stuff as we're running past, like not shooting where we're running, but like just shooting off into the wilderness and it's 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 crazy. Like, and um, I sort of worry about all their gun control because it's just it's one of those things that everyone has guns and. Oh, yeah. um, but like, not any of my friends, but it's it's something that I did see a lot over there. And yeah, but um, but you know, yeah, it was really fun, and um, it's one of those experiences. And and I had um actually a few football clubs come out and do their altitude preseason training camps, um, St Kilda and, and oh, yeah. Essendon as well. So. St Kilda, St Kilda and so I used to do all their um, fitness and um, and work out all their runs and um, and it was pretty cool actually like a few times it snowed really bad and and we had planned like um, I reckon it was like a 20 mile run so um, a long way and um, yeah but they all did it anyway and um, and it was brutal and I used to run in front of everyone in the snow because you couldn't even see where the path was oh, wow. and so then they could my footprints like yeah. yeah it was crazy but like all that sort of stuff was really fun to do and um and something you know that a bit different um that you could sort of um you could do because you're living over there and um and and you know help um and then they often do uh, with thanksgiving over the, in america too a lot of these football clubs used to sort of help out um with community things like that so it was quite cool um to do that and um and that aspect of living over there just doing different stuff is fun yeah, it's a nice change change in scenery and, yeah, certainly like running in the snow like that, you wouldn't get anything like that back in Australia. <laughs> no, nah, it's crazy. And, like, I hate the treadmill and um, a lot of people over there when it snows like that, they're always they're on the treadmill and they can yeah. run so fast on the treadmill. And, like, I can't even run. Like, so at the time, you know, if I was running 
um, you know, three-minute pace for, for 5K. I couldn't run even 3.30 pace on the treadmill. Felt like I was absolutely sprinting <laughs> my heart out. So, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I was hopeless. <laughs> so, like, yeah, so even when it was snowing a fair bit, unless it was, like, like really dangerous with, like, the white ice, the ice sort of thing, um, I'd try to still do sessions. But, yeah, it's it's tough in winter. So often um, I'd go to Santa Cruz in the winter and, um, and train there in California, which was really cool. Mm. I think just to touch on that Houston marathon, um, three and a half years away from the marathon and you came second running 228-24, sound like it was a much more of a controlled race. You know, you did look at kind of your pace and just held on to the time you needed to do. I believe for 2012, you only had to run 232 or underneath that that time. And um, Jess talks about, you know, making the team as the third spot to be with you and Lisa and and, and really looking up to you as an idol and, and how special it was to be on that team with you. But um, this was your third fastest time. So, you know, a pretty amazing run um, after a bit of a break from the marathon. And, and that led you to the 2012 London Olympics, where I know you had a, a torn hip tendon. So it sounds like, you know, you, you achieved your goal of being a four-time Olympian and making it to the Games, but it, um, it certainly wasn't the experience you probably would have hoped for. Um, and yeah, a, a probably a very challenging, um, not only physically, but, but mentally race to get through, but you did cross the finish line and you did it. And, uh, yeah, probably quite an emotional run too. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. So like in Houston, um, I, I like, I got my training back on track really well and I'd been racing. So I won a, I won a half in Vegas in December, just before Houston. And there was lots of American girls in that race that were, um, you know, up there for their trial. So they're, so the American um, trials for the London Olympics was also in Houston. So the reason why I chose Houston is because I ran the citizen race on the Sunday and then the American trials for the Olympics was on the Saturday. And, like, if anyone out there has never been to an American Olympic trial, like, they're amazing. They have, like, 200 people in each race and they're all good good athletes, you know, and um, and I absolutely loved that trial. And I obviously knew a lot of people in the in the trial and um, and a lot of Americans, they, they train to make the trial, mm. so they train... Um, for the Olympic trials qualifier, so they're not they're not doing it because they think they're going to make the team, but they're doing it to to be in the race. Um, and I think that's amazing. And I would love something like that to happen in Australia. Um, I know we probably don't have the population, but um, but something like that would be so cool. But I mean, we need you know, and the winner of those trials gets fifty or sixty thousand, and we need that sort of um, funding behind us as well to be able to do it. But yeah, it was so cool, and um, that was the first time I'd ever seen those sort of races. So it was huge, um, and and just like really motivating to to watch um, those races on the Saturday and then on the Sunday. Um, yeah, like I was in the race and I just knew, I, I knew I was in really good shape. I think I'd ran 70 minutes in in um, Vegas and it's at a bit of altitude. So um, I knew I was in good shape and, um, but I didn't want to run too fast in the first half because I knew I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure I made the team with a good time, but um, not do anything too risky. And um, yeah, it was one of those experiences that was just, amazing and um and loved it all and um and it just felt easy and I've never done a marathon before that felt easy um so like it was just yeah it was really cool and and it's nothing special that course um but you know it was cold beautiful weather um and you know a lot of the race I was even running by myself but um but I think I was very even um split wise like one of my mates Marty Dent in um Canberra he was following the race and he said all my splits were like within a few seconds of each other. So he must have been checking all of them because it wouldn't have been otherwise or anything. He must have just been checking the splits. Um, and he was also in London Olympics as well in the marathon. Um, but, yeah, it was really cool, a really cool race. And, um, 
and you know I was just really um just really pumped to be able to make another Olympics and um yeah and then I yeah like I got an injury I always used to get I hardly ever had stress fractures I always used to get like tendon injuries mm-hmm. and this was a weird injury in my hip and um, I did a lot of ultra G running um you know and I had to obviously have some time off um and like if I was keeping someone out of the team I would have um pulled out too but I wasn't keeping anyone out of the team and so I thought I'm going to come and I'm going to see if I can run and I had run outside for a few 30 minute runs um but I hadn't obviously hadn't done the 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 prep that I would have wanted to and the pounding in your legs and and anyone that I work with you know you'd never advise someone to run a marathon just having run on the old G a bit and um and having that sort of had that sort of injury but it's the Olympics but, yeah <laughs> and once you're in the race you know and like you know I like I knew I wasn't going to run as fast as um as I wanted to but um but yeah and it was tough it was one of the hardest races I ever did but um it's you know when you're running for your country yeah you want to be able to finish and it's one of those things that I was really happy to finish the race um I think I I think I might have been in a wheelchair at the end which was pretty um embarrassing (laughs) but no but it's yeah just one of those things that like you would you would never do it if it wasn't the Olympics and if you weren't keeping someone out and um yeah and I'm just really happy to have made four and I probably would have kept kept going but but mentally after that and um yeah, I was just more focused on wanting to do some work and um, and doing other things. And I think I think competing at the top level too, you can't if you're not focused 100. You're never going to train as well. Like I tried to train a lot the next year, um, and I did do a few little races, but I wasn't my mind wasn't in it, and I wasn't I didn't race well. And and like I, you don't want to you know you don't want people to coach you and spend the time coaching, um, spend their energy if you're not completely committed. And um, that's what sort of um that's what I felt like I wasn't completely committed so um I ended up just sort of just running for fun and um and coaching a lot more and doing a lot more work at Boulder Centre for Sports Medicine got a green card and yeah I was working a lot um so yes that's sort of the direction that everything took but I think I feel like I was only about 32 or 33 like wasn't old um no but you've been been in the sport for a long time I think that's you know 10 12 years you know 14 Mm. years however long um, at that really top end level of competing, as we said, you know, world crossing every year, like, you know, 25 plus champ- world championship level races, like that's a lot um, physically and mentally to go through. So, yeah, w- while you're still, you know, young, like I can understand feeling, you know, a little bit burnt out um, after all of that, you know, racing. Yeah, and that's what, and sort of like I've always been like that. So I just, you know, I've always done sort of other things while I've been competing as well um, and even whether it's study or a bit of work. So, yeah, so I was just sort of doing more of that and then, um, yeah, then I moved back to Queensland in 2014. Yeah, so it feels like a long time ago, but I guess it was 10 years. <laughs> oh, I know, it's coming around. <laughs> yeah, it comes around quick. Um, but, yeah, look, it's one of those things that I've always kept running but I'm not one of those runners that I haven't trained hard since I was an athlete, so I've never sort of done proper like I think I got fairly fit in about 2016 or 17 for a a little while but um but yeah I've never sort of done races or trained really hard I've just I just like sort of running for fun and um and keeping fit and running with people I coach and um and but I think it's important too to sort of um you know enjoy it and like you know I might train for something in the future but um but yeah I just enjoy running for fun and everyone does um, does you know running for a different reason so for me it's just yeah it just helps getting out of the house and doing something different and um yeah and look I love when you travel it's so cool to run around different places too yeah. which is um, best way to see yeah. a place yeah yeah I, I and I always say yeah when you when you jet lag it's awesome when you wake up really early and then yeah. it's so cool to run yeah running places where yeah. when everyone's asleep 
I love that you stayed in the sport and stayed so connected because I know that, you know, sometimes it can be, um, you know, you see people have a, a really illustrious career and then kind of like disappear almost um, away from the sport. Um, but yeah, it's great that you've, you stay connected. And I know athletes like myself and, and those still competing, like, it's amazing to have you as a resource and the fact that, you know, you came and spoke to us before World Cross Country this year and, you know, you're, um, you're contactable on Instagram and, you know, you really yeah. get a, get around all our results and, and um, comment and send us messages. Like it's just so incredible. I think I could speak on behalf of a lot of um, other athletes. Just we feel so privileged to have you, um, you know, in the sport still and contributing. So, yeah, it's um it's great that you've been able to, you know, make a career out of it, um, you know, not just in your own running but through coaching and other avenues too. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, look, I love following your career and 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 everyone like it's so cool. And you know, these days we can watch live streams and things like that. And um, and I always sort of want to help where I can. And um, it's one of those things that um, yeah, it's just it's just fun. Um, but yeah, so I'm so interested in. I know when I was an athlete, um, Karen McCann uh, called me a few times after probably after harder races. Like she did call me after I broke the Australian record over the marathon, but um, after sort of a tough race at Com Games in 06. And I still remember. Like I always looked up to her as well, and I still remember um, those sort of things. So I think um, just just hearing from someone that you've always looked up to, and um, and that's a bit older, and it, it's it's really important, and um, and it's good for the sport. But yeah, I love it. I love following everything, and um, yeah, I've always um, enjoyed it. Love, enjoy, yeah, enjoy enjoy everything. Um, and there's so many races jammed into the next few years as well for yeah. you guys. So. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, be cool. exciting time. Um, what are some, you know, words of advice that you've kind of lived by or, or you tell your athletes that you coach now um, that you kind of learn over your career? Um, I think, you know, obviously we talked about enjoyment. That's really important. Um, you know, I think having a good variety of, um, of what you're doing, um, whether that's variety in sessions, um, locations, for where you're running, um, you know, it, it, it's it's really important to just not um, keep, you know, go through the motions and, um, you know, do the same thing all the time. Um, and it's good for our body too. Um, I, I think, you know, you should pick races that have uh, meaning, uh, that are really meaningful to you. So for anyone that I work with, I never tell them, oh, you should do this race, um, especially with marathons. Like, because every, for everyone, um, marathons and different marathons around the place have different meetings and um, you're always going to run well when, um, when a race means a lot to you and, and you're going to train better as well. Um, so I think I think that's really important. Um, but I also think, you know, having a good balance in your life, um, you know, have, having, you know, really good friends, um, good support network around you. Um, I mean, that that's across any level of runner. Um, it, it, it's so important. And, um, and to be able to share, you know, the good times. And, um, you know, if you do a PB, um, it doesn't matter what it is, it's really important to celebrate it um, and celebrate, you know, all the training you've done. Um, and if something doesn't go right, you know, don't, you know, it's, it's okay to be a bit um, upset, but, you know, sometimes you learn the most from races that don't go well um, and those hard times and they help you actually even be better for the next one. So it's it's really important to um, to not dwell on it and um, and still, you know, still celebrate how hard you've worked for, for something. But, um, yeah, I think um, I think the biggest bit of advice is enjoying it, but also, yeah, mixing up things and, um, and picking meaningful races to you. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I could chat to you all day and for selfish reasons, I'd love to keep picking your brain for hours. <laughs> um, but I, I wonder, you know, what does the future hold for you, Benita? You're the director of the Q Run in Queensland. You know, you're coaching with Lace Up Running. Uh, you've got your daughter, Poppy, and your husband. Like, you know, you've got got a whole new life uh, that you've created. Um, but, yeah, what are you excited for in the future? 
Yeah, look, I think um, I'm excited to just keep um, coaching, keep helping more people. Um, you know, I, I love working for um, Queensland Athletics and um, and just helping to develop like road running races um, and, and trail races. Like I want to get into that trail running community a little bit more um, and just sort of um, really help helping Queensland's recreational running scene um, improve. And we, we've got we're huge memberships um, with, with us as well with rec running. So um, I think that really that part of the future is really exciting. But, yeah, being a mum is something that I wasn't sure would happen. So, um, yeah, like my partner Anthony and I didn't meet till I was almost 40. And, um, yeah, and it was sort of um, one of those things that I was getting a bit older to have kids and very fortunate. Like I got pregnant with Poppy at 43. So, yeah. Very lucky, yeah. Very lucky to have to have her. So yeah. just watching her grow up is going to be so fun, and um, yeah, and just just one of those things that every day is different with little ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, we've had yeah. She just started swimming, and um, she's you know doing heaps of stuff. So it's sort of like one of those things that um, yeah, they change all the time. So um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of our life is going to revolve around Poppy and what Poppy's doing. Um, but yeah, but still keeping keeping fit too, and um, and and doing my own running, and um, just just for fun and enjoy it but yeah it's probably not heaps of huge things coming up but um but just keeping on doing what I'm what I'm doing we're doing a massive house reno um so my yeah. partner Anthony he, he renos um well he's he's doing a lot of renos and um he's doing our whole house here we brought this house before we knew we were having poppies so it's like a three-story house so um oh, wow. yeah so I'm learning a lot although I'm not doing much work yeah. <laughs> leave that to him <laughs> but um, yeah but it's actually really cool seeing what he can do and um and seeing you know things change um mm. so yeah so it's one of those things that lots lots of stuff going on um we might reno another place um eventually if we if we move out of here but it's one of those things that Queensland I feel like Queensland and the running community um is a little bit behind you know Victoria and even South Australia so it's great to be in an up-and-coming area too um that's sort of getting better and better and um the club strength is getting stronger and stronger so that's one thing that um yeah I love seeing in Queensland so yeah, yeah enjoying it and enjoying living near my family again too which is cool because they're all Queensland based. Yeah, it must be so special after years of traveling and, you know, spending most of the year overseas or, or even living overseas to actually be around your family and, and, uh, yeah, be able to see them on a day to day basis, if you like. And yeah, I think it's really exciting being in Queensland with, um, you know, obviously the Olympics coming up in 2032. I think that the, the whole sporting community in Queensland is going to really, um, you know, keep pushing boundaries and we're going to see, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of progress in that in that state as we head towards the games. So um, I'm sure you're you're helping lead the way there in, in the running community, and they're very lucky to have you. Yeah, I can't wait to go to the Olympics, and I'm going to go with Poppy. She'll be ten. Oh, so cute! So <laughs> yeah, good. we can go watch everything. Yeah, it'll yeah. be fun. Oh well, thank you so much for your chat today, Benita. It's been really fun, and um, I hope to see you soon, maybe at Gold Coast uh, Marathon Festival later in the year. Um, yep. But yeah, hopefully, yeah, your, all your your running continues to go well too as you get back into it after having Poppy. And yeah, looking forward to seeing her and see how much she's grown since World Cross too. <laughs> Thanks, Izzy. Yeah, I love the chat, and um, yeah, it's always great to um, to chat to you and follow your career. And yeah, I'll be at Gold Coast Marathon for sure. Awesome. We'll see you there. Thanks so much, Vanita. Now, if you've gotten through this whole episode without buying a bottle of Glossily Sports New Dry Shampoo Ready Sweat Glow, do your hair a favour and grab a bottle now. Refreshing your hair in seconds so you can skip the wash, not the workout. Check it out at glossilysport.com.au and use the code KUDOS20 for 20% off.